The following podcast has adult themes, sexual content, and strong language, mostly because I have a potty mouth. Hi, I'm Adam, and this is Where's My Nigerian Prince? Each episode, I tell the tale of my search for love, the highs, the lows, the utter embarrassments, and the hopefully funny side of single life today. I also fully intend to rope in some friends to tell their stories along the way, and maybe together we can soothe the dating wounds of the entire world. Episode 11, Run My Forest Prince Run, The Conclusion. The events of this night are recalled from 30 years ago. Their sequence is likely out of step and has been adjusted both accidentally and intentionally. As the time of the party crept closer, my excitement and nervousness was growing. Never before in my life had I had a group of friends that I cared about so much and whose attendance meant so much to me. Never before had my Sydney friends met a New Zealand friend. Never before had a potential love interest been coming to one of my parties. So as I rummaged through my clothes, trying shirt after shirt and pushing Sarah to her patience limits, it was obvious, at least at the time, that we should start drinking to calm the nerves. I had purchased a six-pack of wine-cooler-type drinks that were as cheap and alcoholic as they were easy to drink, which meant I was on my second bottle when I jumped into the shower and Sarah sat outside and asked who was coming. First up was Troy my first ever straight male friend who knew I was gay and had become my brother. He was hairy and hyperactive, hilarious and often drunk. He was hardworking and honest and constantly chasing girls relatively unsuccessfully. I'm six foot two and Troy, in my memory at least, was quite a bit shorter, but fit and really strong. Yep, I had a crush on him at times. Not because he was the handsomest guy, but because of his charisma. The kind I wished I had. Then again, I kind of fell in love with all my friends around those times. They were my family, and many are still in my life today. Troy was a wild child and opened my eyes to many things. He and I were involved in many hijinks together, a number of which happened on this night, and also included the next two guests that I told Sarah about. Next came Glennie Boy. I don't know why, but we never called him Glenn. He was kind of like an innocent Christian boy whose parents had sheltered him from all of reality, who was desperate to break free and find himself, and Troy and I were devilishly glad to drag him into any crazy plan. Glennie Boy was cute and kind of boyish, leaner and smaller than both Troy and I, but faster. More of a skater boy, really. He was the reliable one, the one we teased because he was a sober and careful thinker that would try to stop us from doing something ridiculous. And then there was the latest member of the boy band called Markham. Tall, fit, dark hair, gorgeous and he knew it. Looking back, I think the rest of us, at least at first, were damaged enough that we were thrilled to have a cool guy join our crew. Markham had money, easy access to girlfriends, and not much had really challenged him in life. If this was an American high school drama, he was definitely the cool jock who beat up on the nerds. Markham came with a warning to Sarah. If you're going to bang anyone, please not him. Secretly, I was probably in love. You remember the unrequited prince? Picture that before the fall, before the rose-coloured glasses were stomped on. But I also knew he was a womanizer, and I didn't want her to get hurt. We digressed to gossip for a moment. I hear he has a massive one, I said. 
What? Sarah asked. You know, he's packing heat. Has a well-packed lunchbox. He smuggles parrots, not budgies. When he was born, the doctor thought he had two umbilical cords. His meat and two veg is double serving. His, okay, okay, I get it, she said, and we burst into laughter. Then I moved on to the girls. First was Caroline, an artist, a gorgeous soul, one of those people that everyone wanted to be like, not because she was Christy Brinkley, but because she had that charisma. I remember her as inspiringly good at her art, making me push to do more of my own. She was eclectic and fun, and we would spend the odd summer day together going to the beach and just hanging out. Caroline was a fierce and amazing friend. Next was Christy, the coolest person I know to this day. Nuttier than a squirrel in a Nutella factory, almost never wearing shoes, clothed in the most fashion-challenging numbers she could find in the op shop, ridiculously intelligent and well-known for a Barbie that she kept with a noose around its neck. Christy would end up being my flatmate and workmate in two different cities and countries, and to this day, she and I would sit down and lose hours yakking about God knows what with deep and passionate agreement that we are right, her man is hot, and if the world just listened to us, our mentally unstabling ramblings would fix everything. And the final main character was Davina, the only person whose name matched her so perfectly. This gorgeous girl is now a gorgeous woman, and her biggest problem is she doesn't know it. She never failed to have the hottest boyfriend out of all of us, is athletic, and if you judged from a distance, she was way smarter than anyone might estimate. By this time, I was out of the shower, fully dressed and wearing my favourite aftershave. Oops, what about Adam? I don't make it anymore, but I have a little squirreled away. I always loved the name. As I opened my fifth bottle of cheap brew and Sarah nursed her drink, I was getting seriously nervous. No one had arrived. It was a full hour after the bash was meant to begin, and my sense of self-doubt was overwhelming enough to have me nicking this bottle too. That's when the first knock came. Followed by an endless flow of far too many people for my tiny flat, the music turning up and the dancing and laughter beginning. It wasn't much longer and I realised I was out of drinks. So just drunk enough not to care about my budget anymore, I stumbled my way downstairs to the nearby bottle and bought another six-pack. The party was going off and we had already fended off the first complaint from the crabby old lady upstairs, whose face I remember as being Mrs. Mangle from the Aussie soap opera, Neighbours. Google her. It's accurate. As I took a sip of drink number eight, the seven that had come before, in quick and nervous succession, were hitting like a ton of bricks. The room began to move in that nauseating way that I always described as roller coasting, because it was like that feeling when a coaster suddenly drops, or like mid-air turbulence. The stumbling and slurring worsened as I went to each of my friends and professed my love. I love you so much. And I tried to dance to 100% pure love from Crystal Waters. From the back to the middle and around again, we sang loudly to the music as we tried to do the moves, laughing and reveling in a moment like I had never experienced before. I was cool. All the cool kids were at my party and they loved me. From the back to the middle and around again, I was on my ass again, <laughs> down for the count and struggling to stop laughing. Then I rolled over in time to notice Markham getting suspiciously close to Sarah, before closing my eyes and trying to get my bearings. 
I don't know how long it was before I woke, but the party was still in full swing. Troy had fended off the old lady neighbour a second time, and he now stood above me with a fire extinguisher which was being used to give the party atmosphere. Sanity popped back in as I got up and wrestled it off him and put it back where it should be, all the while laughing. At least until I noticed the forest prince hadn't arrived, that is. In a protective and obvious move, I unapologetically and clumsily used feigned drunken humour to insert myself between Markham and Sarah and complained to her that he wasn't here yet. She assured me that it was only 10pm and he would still come, but took me to the sink and gave me some water, telling me to sober up or there was no chance with him. Like a magnet, she was drawn back to Markham, and Glennie Boy was glad to point this out as I headed over to Davina, and I made her introduce me to her man for what was probably the third time, and I playfully patted him on the chest, purely to cop a feel of those muscles. The room continued to spin, and I really don't know why or even how, but I was suddenly being dragged outside and across the road to the park by Troy and Glenn. Soon enough, we were on the rugby fields causing havoc, scaring away all the nighttime naughty people in the bushes, swinging on the field goals and laughing and causing willful damage until the fresh air was enough to settle us down and leave us sitting, looking at the water silently. That was until I noticed the moon, which for no reason made me jump up and pronounce, I need another drink. So back to the party we went and Forrest was there. Sarah had kept him in place and fed him a drink, which he didn't need as he'd been gathering his own Dutch courage before the party and was almost as gone as I was. The relief that he had been nervous, which is why he was late, was thrilling and I soon grabbed him in my arms and kissed him. Everyone else in the party seemed to disappear and all that was there was me and my prince. We danced and drank and kissed provocatively. We laughed and I soon had my hand up his shirt, feeling that hairy muscular chest that I had seen as he ran. Whether it was pure chemistry, alcohol or just dumb luck, we were equally into each other and there was no denying where this night was leading. I'm fairly comfortable in saying that the parties of Generation X 20-somethings with low self-esteem really knew how to cause trouble. And as Mrs. Mangle tried to complain again, but was fended off by the fast-talking Christie, Forrest and I made for the exit. My tiny flat provided no space for privacy, and the heat between us was demanding much more than dirty dancing. So we resolved to find ourselves a lovely spot in the bushes in the park. Moments later, though, we realised that there really wasn't anywhere to go, either due to exposure or being already in use. I really did live in a high-class neighbourhood. So we found ourselves calming down a little bit and just walking, holding hands, chatting, giggling, and just being happy. Forrest said something romantic, and we turned to each other and kissed. I pulled him close, wrapping my arms around him, one hand on the back of his head, savouring the kiss, and his explored my back as he relaxed and enjoyed it too. Before long, our knees buckled, and we found ourselves lying in the grass, embracing and kissing and just letting things escalate. There was little or no logical or careful thought. Passion had control, and the following five minutes of frenzied, unspeakable actions seemed like an eternity of passionate lovemaking. As our lust goggles cleared from steam, we both realised that we'd just done it in the middle of Rushcutter's Bay Cricket Oval at 1am, surrounded by overlooking apartment buildings and with the reasonable lighting of city street lamps. Hurriedly pulling on our grass-stained clothes and laughing, freaking out before running like crazy to the footpath, I grabbed his hand and, as if to bring him back to my party with me. But he resisted. I need to go change, he said. I'll be back soon. Without second thought, I let him go, and we both headed in separate directions, concerned the cops may have been called. As I returned to the party, the music had been turned down, 
It seemed everyone had found someone to make out with, and it was all a bit of a haze, to be honest. But I'm pretty sure some of my friends had hooked up in combinations they might deny to this day. I went to the fridge and found another drink, and once again broke up Sierra and Markham, who had been making out. The nasty details of what had occurred were spilled, and she was in equal parts shocked, horrified, and in awe. Do you think he's coming back, she asked. Oh, yeah, sure, yep, I slurred. For a while, the music came back up and some more dancing occurred. Though dirtier than before, two more hours slipped by easily until quite suddenly, in the sea of family, I felt alone. Forrest was clearly not returning. In fact, I would never see him again. At 3am, I stumbled back to the park and found it empty. It was that time of night where everything finally goes quiet, and I sat down in a bush, letting self-pity wash over me, from such a high to such a low in only a few hours. Every demon that had come before was loose and whispering in my ear. Adam! Eddie! I heard two girls calling in the distance, and then a third. Ed's you idiot! Where are you? I snapped out of my melancholy and extracted myself from the bushes so I could find the girls. Soon I sat on the bench, sitting with Davina, Christy and Caroline, commiserating at first and laughing soon after. They dragged me back to the party, and from here, I really don't remember anything more, until the cold light of day shone through my window. With a pounding hangover attacking my senses, the kind you only earn with cheap alcohol, I realized I was cuddling Troy. I was under the cover and he was over them, on my bed, passed out. And somewhere in the night, I had rolled over and put my arm around my friend. I quickly sat up and moved away. He stirred only a little as I surveyed the room. Sarah had managed to sort out the air mattress and it was only the three of us. Everyone had made it home safely in taxis and by walking. And it was not long before I was cooking breakfast. And finding out the Markham indeed had a big one. And had run off like the chicken he was as soon as he was done. Sarah wasn't alarmed by the whole thing. She had just wanted to know if the rumours were true. And we laughed. I told her about Forrest and we commiserated. But she reminded me I now had a story to tell. And although I never saw Forrest again, I would never forget that night either. Four of the six main players of this story are still in my life today. They've grown, evolved and achieved so much. It was almost mind-blowing. But when I snap back to the party, I just grin. I miss you and love you all. I hope my story does you justice. This has been a production of Adam Wright. I hold the copyright for this material. A huge thanks to my talented niece Grace Beard for turning my poorly written music into the theme music of Where's My Nigerian Prince? This is the last episode of Where's My Nigerian Prince Season 1. It is time for a break and to consider where to next. I have some ideas, so watch the space. I want to thank my lovely listeners for your kind words and encouraging feedback. You've made this labour of love and self-exploration so special. Do please send any feedback or comments or questions to Where's My Nigerian Prince on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Gmail and at Where'sMyNigerianPrince.com. And if at all possible, please take the time to rate my show on iTunes. It's priceless for me. Thank you. Oh, and don't forget the most important thing. Love yourself.